Let's go to God's word. Romans chapter 11. Please open up your, your Bibles. Uh, Romans chapter 11. Uh, this kind of is an exciting conclusion. That's actually my, uh, my thought for the first point, especially the, the conclusion of the plan of God, where God is taking us, what he is doing. And uh, yeah, so let's read uh, Romans chapter 11. Please stand in honor of God's word. Romans chapter 11, starting at verse 25. Uh, God's word says this, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. Uh, A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Uh, And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Uh, As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. Uh, He will banish ungodliness uh, from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them uh, when I take away their sins. As as regards the gospel, uh, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election... They are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you uh, were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. So they too have been disobedient in order that uh, by the mercy shown to you, they also may know Uh, but may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all uh, to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And God, uh, we thank you for your word. We ask that your spirit would speak to us now and and mark our hearts with this passage that was uh, inspired many years ago. Uh, God, uh, in, in what we're looking at is mystery is difficult for us. May we cling to you. Uh, May we rejoice at your goodness. Uh, May we not depend on our own understanding. Uh, God, do your work in us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The conclusion of the plan of God. Before we get moving on that, last week, or the last even couple of weeks, uh, we have uh, looked at uh, this relationship with the church and Israel, the church and Israel, or Israel and the Gentiles, however you want to say that. And this picture is this, it's very important for you to get, is that God had a focus on his people, Israel, and then because of their rejection and disobedience, he moves the focus from them onto the Gentiles, even as we look at Paul's ministry, an apostle to the Gentiles, one to come and share the message with the Gentiles. 
uh, and many of us, most of us here uh, this morning would be considered Gentiles. And, and what, we, what we look at or have looked at, and I, I just want to remind you of this, I started out this last week, or last Sunday with this, is that God knows who Israel is, okay? It's gotten muddied and unclear uh, in these days, but know this, that he knows who are his own, and he knows who the promise is, and as he says all of Israel will be saved, they will. Uh, and that means all that he has designed and called his own will be his. And so uh, don't be too confused on who is Israel. Just know that God knows who Israel is. And I, I want to tell you this too. He knows who his Gentiles are as well. And so uh, we're grateful that God can sort all this out. Things are so complicated and difficult for us to see. But know that God is on his throne doing his work. And last week we looked at the the picture, the word picture that was kind of um, most prominent was the idea of grafting, uh, that a branch was broken off that was Israel and then uh, as one was grafted in was those of the Gentiles and then he points to a time later, later, even probably later, even later than us right now that the branch broken off will be grafted in again again being Israel Um, and so this is where we pick up in verse 25 and I I just say that this is the conclusion to the plan of God Um, when you look at the the world and I mentioned this last week or the week before uh, who's got the plan for the world he's got the plan but does anybody else have another plan yeah. Who? Satan's got a plan. Uh, there's men and women who have plans, right? Like, uh, and, and I want to I not drill down too deep in this. That, that When we think of that, I think of, I'll be honest with you, I think of the World Economic Forum. That's what I think of. I think of Klaus Schwab. I think of presidents and princes and you know, the billionaires and gazillionaires behind those people, right? The, the puppet masters, and they, they got a plan, and they're going to do some stuff. And they're going to ruin some stuff, and they're going to use us like pawns. And I, I start thinking, they have a plan. They have a plan for the whole world. And I start going, oh, how can I thwart their whole plan? And I start going into cartoon world, and like, I'm going to get them, you know, and, and we, we wonder about the plans, even the collective plans of wicked people. And, and I, as I look to the word of God, I want to see this again because it's so important. Is there, it's like they're playing risk or something, thinking that they're in charge of the whole world. And God says, you're playing games. I will get my way. And this is what's being spoken of in here is that God has a plan both for everybody else and for his people, Israel. And it will come to pass. It will come to pass. And he's not going to check in with the World Economic Forum. He's not going to go to Washington, D.C. He's not going to check in with the White House or the Kremlin or, or uh, anybody in China. Like he's not going to do that because he is the God over all. 
And not just over all people, but all, over all history. He has a plan. And so we see in verse 25, really him laying out what is going to happen in a very simple, skeletal type way for the Roman church to hear and for us to hear this morning. And he says this, lest you be wise in your own sight. He's, he keeps coming back to this idea. He's already spoken of it. It's this idea that we would look upon the Jews and say, you're so dumb. You're so dumb. You were God's chosen people and like Jesus came and you should have obeyed and fell down and worshiped and you rejected the Messiah. You're so dumb. It makes sense. It makes sense that God would be done with you. It makes sense. And he keeps coming back to and he would want to speak to us this morning in ways of saying, I I want to guard you. I want to guard you uh, against looking, looking upon my people Israel And being wise in your own sight. I want to tell you that that is a huge sin danger for us. Being wise in our own sight. I got it figured out. It makes sense to me. My logic leads me to this conclusion. I want to tell you that's terrible thinking. Terrible thinking. The best kind of thinking is as a child would look upon their master And they would say, God, I guess I'll just do what you want me to do. I don't understand it. Like, I don't get it. Like, it's hard for me to take all the details and see, and I get fearful, and I will obey. Lest I be wise in my own sight. And and then he says this, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, of this mystery. And he doesn't really, he does Define the mystery. We'll get it. There's really three pieces that he tells us about. But as you, if you've been in the book of Romans with us, you realize that he starts out with original sin, and then he says that God's got an answer for that, that you, even not being holy, you can be holy uh, through or righteous uh, through what Jesus has done. And then as you get to the kind of the end of uh, chapter 8, or, or in chapter 8, he starts talking about his choosing and his election and his foreknowledge and, and your, your brain just starts to expand and, you know, like it's getting ready to blow and there's, it's bubbling up. And, uh, and then you get through 9 through 11 and he continues to talk about Israel and what he's doing and these big plans and they're hard to understand. And as he looks upon this, he says, uh, I, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery. And, and I want to be careful uh, to say, well, now he's going to tell you about the mystery and so it won't be a mystery anymore. I, I want to tell you that as we look at the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus would come for sinful, rejecting people dead in their sins, both Jews and Gentiles, that he would come for them. And there's this complicated plan of focus over here and then focus over here and, and what he's doing. And then it, you even look at the end times, and I believe this is pointing to end times things as well is that there's a time where he's going to take his church out. He's going to take his church, gather his church to himself. And then there's going to be some events. And then as part of those events, he's going to draw these people, as he's spoken, as he's promised, 
to himself. And you go, oh, it's just too complicated. I'm struggling on the details and this and that. And he says, I don't want you to be unaware of the mystery. And, and, but be careful to think, well, I, I know what the mystery is. I got it all. I understand the gospel completely. I understand his plan completely. I understand the timing of it. I'm looking at my watch and I go, now it's going to show up in the next day. And like, I got it. Uh, I want to tell you that uh, it's an a amazing mystery of how God is working things out. And the point is this, that God does have a plan. It is mysterious to us, even his children. Um, and he wants to give us bits and pieces of it without the whole picture. And so these are the pieces he gives to us as a conclusion of his plan, that it's a mystery, okay? And what is it? The, the, I told you there were three pieces. The first piece is this, a partial hardening, a partial hardening. Um, as you look at this, it says a partial hardening has come upon Israel. And he's already mentioned this as a stupor, if you will, or a darkening. And, and, and this idea is that uh, because of their rejection, there's more darkness, that they're stuck in darkness. And you say, well, that doesn't seem fair or right or whatever. Don't get hung up on that. Know this, that God is working out his plan. God is working out his plan. And it is not your plan. It's not your ideas. It's not the way you would do it. I, I guarantee it. It is not the way you would do it. Um, and God's got an amazing plan and he's working it out. It's the mystery. So the first part of that is a partially, a partial hardening or even a, the idea of a temporary partial hardening. We say temporary because we know from the previous verses that that piece broken off, those ones hardened and walking in darkness uh, as part of his plan will be grafted back in. Um, as part of his magnificent plan and conclusion. Uh, partial hardening. The second thing we see is really a timing of that, and really this kind of lends itself to the temporary thing as well. There's a, a, a date in the future when this partial hardening will be over. And when is it? It, it says in ESV, it says, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. The fullness of the Gentiles has been come in. Uh, I connect this with the return of Christ for his church, uh, not, not meeting him in the air, and then uh, setting off really those distinct uh, events of the seven years that as Jesus returns for his church, or uh, I keep saying return, that we meet him in the air is the best way to say this because that's the usage. But this idea is that that is the fullness of the Gentiles. And this word fullness is, is the idea that uh, the, the plan comes together or the plan is done uh, or the number has been met. Uh, you know, if you could picture uh, God collecting his Gentile church and they're scattered throughout the whole world and he's doing different things and people are coming to faith and uh, he knows what's going on. He's calling people to himself. They're chosen by him, elect from every nation, and he's doing this thing. And then it, there's a, a, a fullness of time of the Gentiles that comes to conclusion uh, when he says, we got them all. We got them all. It's, it's a similar to picture to uh, when... Uh, you know, when the ark, all the, the animals, all the people that were going to go were in and they shut the door. It, it, they're all on. 
They're all on. And there's this picture, the, the fullness of the time of the Gentiles. I, I want you to hear this, you historians. Uh, when you say, when you study history, there's some things that they say o- over and over again, okay? And what is it? History repeats itself. History repeats itself. And, you know, what, is, what does that mean? Well, if you study history, especially if you go back long enough, empires come and go, right? There, there's this raising up of empires that are great, and then they're brought down. And they think they're great for a while, and even it, it, politically, there's people who rule for a while, and then it swings to the other side. But it'll swing back, right? It'll keep coming back and back. And, and there's these, these ideas that uh, things just repeat themselves, and then um, the reason we study history is we can learn from our mistakes, right? That's, that's what it is, and so we can have a better future. Well, uh, that's all good and great and everything, except for this one thing. There's an end. There's an end. Uh, history repeats itself until it doesn't anymore. And, and, and what this is, is knowing this, that there's a plan of God. There's a plan of God. And that he has some periods that he puts in there. This is going to happen. It will happen. And then when this happens, then this will happen and it will be the end. I say this in such a dramatic way because it is dramatic. It is dramatic. And as we look at life, and I want you to know, I was trying to, as I think about talking to you men on Mondays and Fridays, there's a... There's a seriousness to it. There's a, there's a um, you know, compelling as a reason right now. Why? Because of this. Because of what's going on right now. Because of the people that are dependent upon you. The things that are, you, you have to do. It's, it, it, it's something that's urgent. Why? Because th- there's a fullness of time that will come where it will be over. It will be over. And so there's, there's not this, hey, we'll get to it tomorrow. You know, it doesn't matter. Uh, I want to tell you, it does matter. Your life does matter. And it's not just that it matters to God that he cares about you, but that he wants to do something in you. And so we, we don't look at this as just, ah, you know, it'll go on forever. No, there's a time, an end, a place. And so he, he says, first of all, there's a hard, partial hardening or a temporary hardening going on, partial, temporary partial hardening. And then the fullness of Gentiles will come or ha- is going to come. And once that is, that, that brings about that temporary. And then what will happen, verse 26, and this is the mystery, uh, partial hardening, Gentiles' time will come. And in this way, all of Israel will be saved. That will, that's the third uh, piece of the plan of God, but also the mystery of God. It says that all of Israel will be saved. And I really, uh, I want you to get this. Um, we talked about it last week. Israel, uh, there is connection to the land. There is connection to the land. But know this, that uh, all that live in Jerusalem right now are not Israel, as spoken of in the scripture here, okay? Just because I moved to Israel doesn't make me one of these, okay? 
Uh, but know, know that God's going to sort all that out. He's speaking of a general sense of Israel, his people. Um, as, as he looks upon this and he looks upon Israel's salvation, he says this, and this is from, he, he's clipping together two portions of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 59, and then uh, the last part being Isaiah 27. He, he says this, the deliverer will come to Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. The deliverer will come to the holy city of God, you know, that, that place and that time. And uh, there's a little bit of question of whether that's drawing them up to heaven or drawing them down to earth and gathering them there. Uh, don't get hung up on that. Uh, but this idea is that he will banish or he will do a work in Jacob. Remember that Jacob's name uh, was changed from Jacob to Israel as part of God's work. Um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob who becomes Israel. Uh, he just uses, a, I'm not sure there's a, a huge distinction or reason. Um, big point, I, I should say, in verse that he refers to Jacob not Israel, but it's the same. He says, banish ungodliness from Jacob. And, and this is what, what you need to get is that the work of God, when he does his work, it's removing of sin. It's taking out that which is not from him. And he says this, he says, uh, banishing ungodliness from Jacob. And, and then he says, and this will be my covenant with them. He, he speaks of this promise and this promise coming together in what? Um, verse 27, he says, and, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. When I take away their sins. Now, I, uh, um, I, think, I think we all struggle with this because uh, ungodliness and sins, we kind of see that as the small part, Right? Oh, my sins aren't that big of a deal. If Israel, if, if you talk to someone who believes themselves to be Jewish and they, they, follow, they, they would look upon their sins, their wickedness, and they would say, yeah, but I'm God's chosen pe- person, right? I'm part of God's chosen people. And, and they'd say, yeah, God loves me, so my sins are no big deal. I, I want you to guard yourself from that kind of thinking. Because the big issue between you and God, the thing that separates you from God, is your ungodliness, your particular sins. There is no communion or fellowship because of your sins. There's separation and, and, and parting. and it, What makes a person an enemy of God is their sins. And, and it's interesting because we see our sins as to one another, you know, it's to our family or it's to someone else or we've sinned against the government. Like we, we think of it as certain people, but all that doesn't matter. All that doesn't matter. It's the issue is between you and God, me and God, the Jews, Israel and God. And what does he say is going to happen that Israel will be saved. How will it come? The deliverer will come. The deliverer. And, you know, I, I don't want to... There's a lot in here. We could talk a long time. But 
when the deliverer comes, what does that imply to the people he comes to? What does that imply? That they need delivering, right? Just do it yourself. Just take care of yourself. Clean yourself up. Be smart enough. Be, you know, I have great resolve. I'm from good stock and generations. Us, us Bozlers, we know, you know, we're, we're stubborn and we can, you know, do things. I want to tell you, your hard work, your stubbornness, your smarts, whatever you think you got, it's not enough. It's not enough. You're lost in your sins as Israel is. They need a deliverer to come. And what do they need that deliverer to do? Remove the ungodliness. Save them from their sins. And I want to tell you, that's the same need, not for the Jews, Israel. It's the same need that we have. It's the very same need. And he's going to connect the two. So there's this distinction between Israel and the Gentiles, but there's also this commonality, this common thing of man. Um. They uh, have they have sins, but what he does to restore and save them is to make them once again have unbroken fellowship with God. Unbroken fellowship with God. So that's the plan. The conclusion of the plan is the mystery of it is that. This partial hardening uh, is happening for Israel. The fullness of the Gentiles has has come, and then it changes. You know, we'll go from there, and then uh, after that, uh, Israel will be saved. The deliverer will come, banish ungodliness, sins forgiven. He uses the word covenant there, and when you see the word covenant, you, you, you should say quickly in your mind, promise of God. Promise of God that's dependent and initiated by him. It's not this, I promise you if you promise me, and, and we'll all do the 50-50 thing. It's the covenant of God is that I promise and I will make this happen. This is dependent upon me. And so uh, we see the plan of God, his covenant coming out, his uh, forgiveness extending to Israel. Which brings us to verse 28, gospel mercy for all. And where there's a distinction in the previous section, now they're, I let it out a little early. Sometimes I jump ahead of myself. But there's gospel mercy for all. There's a humanity piece to this that, that all of us can relate to. In verse 28, it says this, uh, as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards election their beloved for the sake of their forefathers meaning that temporarily right now they are enemies of the gospel as a as a people as a nation as a chosen nation they are enemies right now of the gospel but God has a promise his election as he's used with Gentiles earlier he now uses for Israel, he says, but in regards to election, beloved for the sake of their forefathers, meaning a connection to the ones he promised to, uh, his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and others. And so a- as we look at this, we see gospel mercy for all. And w- where is that? Uh, 
For the gifts, verse 29, uh, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Irrevocable. Um, As we look at this, these temporary enemies of God that are chosen, verse 29, there's a question. So, and I want you to hear this. So this passage teaches that God has a place and a plan for Israel. Place and a plan. He's not done with Israel yet. Now, I think why he's highlighting this is because uh, we are, we have love for one another that's contingent all the time. It's always contingent. And, and that's just who we are as people, small people, small-hearted people. We have contingent uh, love for one another. And, and what I mean is this. And that's what makes the love of God so amazing is that uh, picture, picture it's Christmas time. We've just gotten over Christmas time. and uh, You love your kids and you, uh, maybe your husband, maybe, maybe you love your husband and maybe you love your wife and maybe you love your grandkids. And so in those things, the speculations of your, your love for them you want to do something special, and so you want to give them a gift. And you don't just want to get them something just to say you got them something. You want to get them something special because it's a picture of your love for them. And so you, you, you scour and you think, and, and sometimes we even pray about this, don't we? We're like, God, give me an idea some way to bless them in a way that would be appropriate for them that would knock their socks off that they might be feel loved by me and then you purchase that you wrap it you you know or if you're a guy like me you have somebody else wrap it so it looks nice um and 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 you're excited for them to open their gift but then it happens you realize what a jerk they are. <laughs> and it happens in that week before Christmas, maybe even the day before. Maybe it's your kids and they've acted so selfish and they've lied and they've stolen and they've been mean with their words and they've been disobedient and they've just been rebellious. Or maybe it was your spouse and you just you know, didn't like who they were and you just hated what was going on. And so what do you do? You say, forget it. They're not getting that gift. They're not getting it. I pull it back. They don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. They don't deserve me treating them that well. Back to the word of God. Sorry if I was... A little too close to home on there for some of you. (laughs) Verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He's highlighting for us. He says, "I, I know that you're looking at my people, Israel, and I know you're looking upon them, and I know you're saying something about them, and I know you're you're saying, God, it doesn't make sense that you would care about them. 
But he says, no, my gifts, my, my blessings, and, and my calling of them are irrevocable. They're based upon me, my covenant with them, not upon their worthiness. That's a mystery, isn't it? <laughs> a mystery. Um, so, so what we see in verse 29 is uh, no gifts for you. That's the way we would treat him. But God says, my love for them is irrevocable. And some of you are still struggling with that. Just, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And now it's going to make sense for you right now. Verse 30. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. Wait. I thought we were just talking about Israel and how stupid they were. I thought, I thought we were just talking about them and how wicked and God, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let them have it. Let them have it. Cut them off. Cancel them. They don't deserve you. And now God in his mercy turns to us. And he says, oh, yeah, I remember another group of people who didn't deserve me. For just, a, for just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy, is verse 30, because of their disobedience, because God shifted the focus and us and our disobedience to God, but now we receive mercy. We receive mercy. Verse 31. So they too have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. What does Israel, Israel need? They need the mercy of God. Mercy of God. Mercy meaning that God would not deal with them as they have dealt with him. What do we, what do we need? What do we need? The mercy of God, that God would not deal with us as we have dealt with him or as we have deserved. Um, this is this beautiful picture of mercy for all. Uh, and, and I would say this, that his plan is to show his greatness through his mercy Verse 32, for God has consigned all to disobedient that he might have mercy on all. Why has he allowed and let the world to spin and to sin? And uh, uh, why has he allowed Satan to have his day? Why are these things happening? Is that he would share, show his amazing grace, his love and mercy. That he would be able to look on sinful men and women like me and you. Like me and you. And show us mercy when we deserved judgment cutting off uh, that broken branch that never, you know, is thrown into the fire and never um, grow again. Uh, as we look at this, sometimes we... Uh, think about life and we say well if people if people can show their own goodness then God will choose them and he'll be glorious in that 
And if you look at this, the gospel is not that. It's that uh, both Jews and Gentiles have shown their sinfulness that God may show his amazing grace, his mercy, that he would save some. Which brings us to all credit and glory to God. Verse 33. And I'll say this, that this last section is kind of a praise hymn. It goes into poetry or song at the end. And what it is, if you look at the structure of the book of Romans, chapter 12 is a a huge turning point. And, And it's as if you look at the first 11 chapters as this building of theological truth and of uh, not just the, theological truth, but hum, truth about humanity, about people, about the human condition, both Jews and Greeks. And, and now you come to this uh, chapter 11 and he just got through explaining or giving us pieces of an explanation of how his plan's going to be worked out both for the Gentile church and for his people, Israel. And, and this is how he ends it. He says this, verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and how unscrutable, inscrutable his ways. The depths, the depths. I want to tell you there's, um, I want to go deep. I want to think deep thoughts. Uh, I I know that some of us are are intrigued by deep thoughts. It's challenging for our mind and, and we say, we just want to open the book or study it out. And we can plumb the depths. We're smart people. Uh, we have great capacity intellectually. I can sit at coffee shops and I drink coffee. And so I, I must be able to handle the deep stuff. And so we say, well, we're just going to hang out with smart people talking about deep stuff. And, and God says to us, it's not that, that that's not to be done, but, but he says this about his plan, about you know, what Paul has just shared, he says, oh, the depths of the rich, rich, uh, riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. And, and, and there's this praise about this that goes up. It's a, God, you're, you're so amazing. You're so amazing. And, and the depths are deeper than I can go. And, and, and I, can, I can dive in and I can go deep and I can go deeper and I can spend my whole life getting deeper and deeper and deeper, but I cannot plumb the depths of you. And when I think about your paths and this idea that, that I can follow your paths and understand your paths and understand the greatness of them, no, I can't. They're untraceable. They're much more magnificent than I can see. Oh, the depths and the riches of the wisdom of God, of his plan, of what he's doing, of how he's treating people, of what's going on. And then he says two things. He says two things as part of this praise, poetry, song, verse 34. He says, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has known? Let me start with the second part there. Who has been his counselor? Um. Especially as you get older, as you get older, and I'm including myself in this, and my family knows this 
full well. And it didn't just start last year, okay? Um, I find myself to be a counselor. And, and not in always a helpful way, more like an annoying way, okay? <laughs> annoying way. Uh, the, they, they would be doing something, and in the midst of it, I go, you know how you could do that better? <laughs> I got an idea. And, and really, really, what I'm saying is not how you could do that better. It's just, if you would do it my way, it would be better. It would be better. And, and so I find myself to be a counselor. And, 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 you know, sometimes it's helpful and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's helpful. And sometimes I think I'm right. I have a better way, but I don't, but I don't. But sometimes I do. There are those occasions. You should listen to me more often. Uh, I, can, I can help you. I, I have a better way. I have a better way. I can be your counselor. And just a commercial. Uh, we here at Bear Valley Church, pastors and elders, we do counseling. Uh, it's for people who want it. If you want some help, uh, we'll look to God's word and we'll try to get you some answers. You know, we'll pray with you about the problems of life. If you've got it, if you've got it and everything's going okay, maybe you don't need counsel, but maybe you do. And so we offer that. We want to we partner with you. But as I look at this, it says uh, counselor, counselor. And in this passage, uh, and, and I realize how ridiculous this sounds. I realize it. But we do it all the time. As we're watching the plan of God, as we're seeing what he does, and we're getting bits and pieces, we say, Hey, God, I got some ideas for you about what you should be doing right now. I have some counsel for you. You're not doing it right. You should do it my way. You should do it my way. That's what we think. That's what we say. And yet we look to the word of God and it says this. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has understood the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? I want to tell you, God does not need your counsel, nor mine, collectively or individually, right? He doesn't need us. And it's not that he doesn't care about us. He's already shown us infinite mercy, right? He's, he's been kind to us in ways that we didn't deserve. But as he saved us, he hasn't saved us for us to be his counselor. His magnificence is shown in him not needing counsel from us or from anybody. Beyond tracing who has known the mind of the counselor or who has been his counselor. And then it says this. It says, or, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? And, you know, I'll just speak about this briefly. And one, one commentator said it like this. I thought it was helpful. He says this. Uh, God doesn't need anyone to help finance his own endeavors. Um, most of us have great plans, great plans. But we don't have the strength, strength nor the resources to accomplish them. And really, they're not that great of plans anyways. But... But when we want to buy a house, we usually need a mortgage. When we want to go do something grand, it, it, it exceeds what we can accomplish. 
And he marks here as part of the praise of his plan is this. That he uh, needs no mortgage. He finances it himself. He is not needy from us to him that he might repay us. And then it ends with this verse. Verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. As we look at this, and, and, and that last verse is the sticking point. It is the sticking point. And you say, sticking point? It seems like just a simple you know, thing you'd say at the end of a service. Uh, I, I want to tell you, it's the sticking point. Who gets the credit? Who gets the credit? Um, who, who gets the glory in the end? Who, who gets the, the admiration and the, when, it's, when the plan succeeds, who, who do people look at because of that? And who is an accurate one that is, gets the credit for what has happened? He, he connects this and it's such a big statement. He says, for from him, meaning that he started, that like he was the one that it came from him at first, and then through him as it continues, and to him, the, the idea that all things are for him and to him. And, and, and so the conclusion is to him be glory forever. Tell me about your life. Uh, you've never been a, you've, you've never deserved credit for any great thing that you've done. It's God who made you. It's God who saved you. It's part of his plan working out. And so there should be in us this continual, God deserves the glory for my life. For everything that goes right and for, for the things that go wrong, I'll take the credit for those. Uh, those are the ones that have my signature down at the bottom, right? This is my masterpiece. It's my sin pile, right? Um, but the glory that's due is not due to you and I. It's due to him. Three things as we uh, remember about his plan as we conclude our time. The first uh, thing is this, is that his plan uh, does not have to be like my plan. His plan does not have to be like my plan. I think we constantly struggle with that. And I just want to remind you that this is his plan. What's going on is his plan. And he's bringing his plan to fruition. Secondly, um, his plan does not have to be understood by me. It doesn't have to be understood. Um, I think often we want to... How many of you were excited to learn how to drive? And you remember that? You get your license or your permit and you get behind the wheel and it's fun to drive and you feel awesome feel awesome you know why you feel awesome is because when you're in the station wagon the 1970 Oldsmobile and it's got this huge v8 and and as you put your foot on the gas what happens it goes and you can say I made it go my brain somehow got to my foot and I went like this and I'm in charge and I'm doing this I want to tell you that um, 
you're not driving on this one. You're not driving. And, and some of you have this, this stubbornness. to. You're standing outside the car and you're saying, you need to tell me where we're going to go before I get in that car. And God says, just get in the car. I'll take care of that. He says, well, no, 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 no. How, how are we going to go? When are we going to be back? Uh, you know, wh- how, how are we going to get there? What's the route? You know, are we safe? Like, like I need to, when are we going to eat? When are we going to eat? You know, uh, I need to know everything before I trust you. Before I trust you. What was that song, that new song we learned? Simply trust you. More and more, right? We're not driving. We're not driving. It's his plan, and it doesn't need to be understood by me. And lastly, his plan in this world, in this time, in this place, is for his glory. It's for his glory, not yours, not mine. And as we participate in that, there is glory in that. There is exaltation in that. But it's only because we were with him. With him. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Uh, I do ask that you protect your church. I think of our young people who are inundated, inundated with thoughts that they can control their own destiny, make their own reality, live their own fantasies. And I ask that you would have uh, them, really all of us, be clarified in our own mind that we follow your plan, we rejoice in who you are, we accept your mercy, that's your forgiveness of sins, and we walk with you until you take us home. God, do your work in your church, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.